Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A. Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. And my name is Scott Segler, New York Times bestselling novelist and... For the legend they say on Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on, and no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from a long time ago. What the hell is that? Those are lyrics from the Ballad of Harry Warden. He has his song? He has a song. It is, it's the ballad, it's the Ballad of Harry Warden. Everybody knows this. It's a classic song from the early 80s. Harry Warden is a character in My Bloody Valentine, which we are covering this week on Story Smack. Uh, we are at Empty Set Studios North. Oh, uh, yes. You might be able to hear a little bit different so, of a room tone. <laughs> we, we don't have our usual setup, but we're recording with our lovely H6, and hopefully we'll, uh, it'll sound pretty good. Um, ma'am, we watched this movie, and I will call it a movie. I would like to point out that while Harry Warden, a.k.a. The Miner, like there's Chucky and mm-hmm. Jason, it's The Miner. There's also Candyman. There's Candyman. And speaking of which, uh, I would like to point this out, that while the minor is not as well known as these other famous slashers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Chucky, Candyman, none of them have an incredibly cheesy ballad that is contextually part of the movie. This is, <laughs> this is one area that sets My Bloody Valentine apart from the crowd. It has that. Uh, My Bloody Valentine is a 1981 film that came out early in the heyday of slasher films. To provide some context, Friday the 13th came out in 1980 and Halloween in 1978. So My Bloody Valentine was kind of in that early crowd. crowd. It was actually the success of Friday the 13th that drove Paramount to heavily push My Bloody Valentine, a lot of advertising money. Uh, But the flick sold only 2 million tickets in North America compared to Friday the 13th's 15 million the year before. That's 1515. My Bloody Valentine was profitable, earning $5.6 million against a budget of $2.3 million. Apparently, a profit of $2.6 million was considered derisory at the time. I saw that on Wikipedia. I'm not sure what derisory means. Do you? You're smarter than I, I am. I don't, I don't think so. But you can all look that up. Uh, so at the time, Paramount considered this a box office failure. But not enough of a failure that the franchise didn't get an inevitable remake. Mm-hmm. In 2009... Lionsgate made My Bloody Valentine 3D, which is a little weird because there was never any My Bloody Valentine 2. I see. But hey, it was 3D, so it's got that going for it. And to be fair, when Lionsgate acquired the rights, they also acquired the rights to the original and replaced three minutes of footage that the Motion Picture Association of America deemed too violent and too gory back in 1981. And then they released the restored version. Is, do you know if that's what we watched? The restored version? No, we version? did not. We missed the three minutes. So oh. I'm guessing maybe that's uh, number two. You because know, like, I they did it back in the day. I'm like, I don't know. What was that? I Laser saw that because I um, watched a couple of clips of it beforehand. And there's a scene where a gentleman, he gets killed with hot dog water. Boiling yes. hot dog water. Yes. And we never got to see him come out of the water, which I saw on the clips on YouTube, but was not a movie that we watched. Yeah, that's part of the reason for that. If we're lucky, perhaps... We will be able to do a review of My Bloody Valentine 3D for Valentine's Day 2020. If, Ooh, we're... if, if we could only be so <laughs> lucky. And the 1981 version was directed by George Malka, who went on to direct a ton of TV episodes from various shows. It was based on a script by Stephen A. Miller and John Beard. Miller wrote for some awesome 80s TV shows 
including Simon and Simon. All of my old friends will remember Simon and Simon. Airwolf, the best darn helicopter show ever made. And Magnum P.I., the Uh original. So he is... And one of your very, very, (coughs) very favorites. Not just the favorite, ma'am. The pinnacle of Western civilization accomplishment, Magnum P.I. I know we've had this conversation, but... The pinnacle of West of, of achievement, like not the wheel, not not germ theory. Plato, Aristotle, uh, Gerald Ford, always leading up to, <laughs> all leading up to Magnum PI. So this guy, he's uh, he's great. If he was anybody that touched Magnum PI, is a okay my book. So my bloody Valentine starred Paul Kellerman as TJ, Laurie Hallier as Sarah, and Neil Affleck, no relation, okay. as Axel. None of these leads actually became household names, but Hallier has worked consistently as a TV actress for the last 38 years. 38 years. That's a hell of a... That's pretty good from this from this movie. All right. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about the plot. Okay. Cue your movie voice. Valentine's Day is coming around and the young people of the small mining town of Valentine's Bluffs are organizing a party. A few decades earlier, an explosion at the mine trapped six miners underground. One, Harry Warden, survived, though in a deranged state. Warden is sent to a mental hospital, but escapes and murdered those he deems responsible for the mine accident. Now, people are being brutally murdered again, and the townsfolk suspect that it is the work of Harry Warden. Brutal murders? A psycho killer? That's usual slasher Mm -hmm, fare. mm -hmm. But this? This is set in Canada. Which was great. It was set in Canada, which somehow it took me out of the story a little bit. Every time somebody had to say, sorry. <laughs> Canadian slasher film. Fantastic. I'm, I'm a little surprised the Canadians let that happen. I used Canadian bad guys in my novel Ancestor. And uh, it got some media coverage in Canada. And one, like the Saskatchewan Tribune, I don't know what it was. One reporter lost his mind. Like the headline was, why does Sigler hate Canadians? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was nuts. I'm like... Because, you know, you go through your Rolodex of who you're going to use as villains. And, okay, obviously Americans, because Americans are evil, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then obviously Russians, because Russians are Cold War evil. Mm-hmm. Obviously South not African. Anymore. No, Well, <laughs> not anymore. But then, of course, the South Africans went through a great phase of they're True. always the bad guys because it was easy to hate them on the, on the broad, broad scale. I thought, let's spread the cheer. I thought as being original. I'm like, let's make the Canadian, let's make Canadians the bad guys. Everybody gets a little taste of the pie. And uh, the reporter acted like, literally acted like no Canadian had never done anything wrong She's ever. Crazy. She's ever. crazy, crazy. Yes. But I have a big question. Yes. Did you have to say you were sorry? I did not. <laughs> I did not. I stand by my very, very, very rare use of making a Canadian the bad guy. Someone, somewhere, at some time in Canada has done something bad. I assure you, not just drink all the Molson. They've done something <laughs> bad. Well, not too fast. Harry Warden, who we assume was Canadian... I have to assume it, yes. ...was the killer in My Bloody Valentine. But to be fair, he was left in a collapsed mine for three weeks with nothing to eat but his fellow miners. Ain't no amount of maple syrup and Molson going to make that taste good. But now that we are on the subject of cannibalism and Canadian exports, let's share our thoughts on the movie. Okay. But first, spoiler alert, people. We always forget to do this. Spoiler, this is 38 years later we're about to spoil this movie right now. Right now, eh? Okay. Uh, (laughs) The movie does open with a sex scene. And it's looking good. I admit, I'm watching the movie. The miner, dressed in full miner garb, so that's the the gray coveralls 
and the mask with the big eyes you can't see through and the big crazy respirator, breathing yeah. respirator with the hose coming out of it. He's down in the mines. Brown chicken, he's getting it on. Brown chicken, brown cow. He's getting it on with a lovely young blonde down there. And they are getting ready to take that mining train into that shaft. Oh, Lord. But he won't take off the mask. And initially, I'm all like, bro, lose the headgear. <laughs> but we do not kink shame. Not on this cast, not in general. So as it turns out, the kink is part of her. I mean, the mask is part of her kink. Yes. She's totally grooving on that mask, caressing the hoses, and it's not an entendre. But it's sadly, whatever her final desired result, it is not to be. Because right when they're about to have sex... Somebody must mm, die. Somebody absolutely. must die. It's the 80s. Yes. I mean, it is the 80s. True. So there, there there wasn't just kink shaming. There was totally, totally sex shaming, especially in, cla- in especially, slasher effects. Especially. I'm surprised after gr- growing up as a kid in the 80s, I'm surprised I ever had sex. Because <laughs> there wasn't sex scenes on TV at the time. So every sex scene I saw in the first 20 movies I saw, the person who had sex died. <sighs> okay. So we open up with our death. Then we learn the next day is Thursday, February 12th, two days before Valentine's Day. There is mining. Big coal has an influence in this movie. Uh, a big coal. And there is a frat boy coal mining system culture complete with lots of laughing and much hijinks. Oh, for sure. And we're totally establishing that the mine is kind of a like a... a a good, good old boys club, mm, yeah. and the camaraderie amongst the miners, and you know they have their people died. They know people died in this mine, so I like that because it sort of establishes them. And then TJ, the um, the mine owner's son, mm-hmm. is back from California where he had gone out, struck out on his own, and failed to make it. And he's returned five years later here. And we, I mean, I'm gonna poke, I'm gonna poke a lot of fun at this movie, but there are some good things. That's a good character touch because uh, having grown up in a very small town, I can't imagine there are things much harder than being a small town kid trying to get out and then having to come back, tail tucked between your legs, take the job from the old man. So the happy go luckers, uh, happy go luckers, happy go luckers, and miners. That's what the Canadians mi- call miners. <laughs> the miners leave the mines. They drive out in all of their uh, their fancy car- well not fancy cars but their hot rotted cars. They're spraying gravel to the sound of banjo music. It was like watching the Dukes of Hazard combined with the Alpha Betas from Revenge of the Nerds. It was ah, kind of a yeah. kind of a redneck yeah, yeah, frat. Yeah. I would like to point out these Canadian rednecks had one of the highlights of the movie: a Volkswagen Beetle that they turned into a <laughs> teeny tiny pickup truck. So jealous! It's the world's smallest pickup truck. <laughs> That's one of the highlights for you. I yes. love it. Yeah. So as they're getting out from work that day, we kind of get into the town uh, that is Valentine's Bluff, mm-hmm. and that sort of gets established for the for the movie viewer. It's a small town, idyllic Main Street, yeah. like the classic Rockwell image. I, that struck me right off the bat because I'm like, that is what my hometown looked like when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. It's a. I mean, that really? Main Street, the small one story storefronts. Totally. Being from New York, I honestly didn't think that actually existed out of back lots and movie sets. It did. It was totally real. Uh, I have been back to the hometown. It's completely dead. When I've done book tours, I've gotten to see a bunch of small hometowns, uh, small towns. And uh, in every one of them, the the main street is totally like it's a capitalistic crater. Oof. Internet sales hit really hard. But like in Sheboygan, where I grew up, the biggest thing was the plant closed down. What did the plant The do? plant, it was paper, paper mm-hmm. products. They made toilet paper and paper towel. Uh, but that phrase, 
the plant closed down resonates through the coal industry, the steel industry, sure, manufacturing, absolutely. everything. You can go to a thousand small towns in America. They will say that phrase. And that was the death, beginning of the death of the town was the plant closing. Yeah, that's sad. But that is after the idyllic hometown that you grew up in. Yep. We are, start to get introduced to the main players in this movie. Um, in that town, there's the health, helpful town mama who's getting everything ready for the Valentine's Day party. Mm-hmm. There's the mayor who seems like a good guy. Jovial mayor. There's, there's the sheriff who's seen some hard shit but is in it to win it. Serious man. Uh, and everybody, all of them, are getting ready for the first Valentine's Day party they have had in 20 years. They banned the parties because of the aforementioned Harry Warden. He was trapped in the mines when a mine section collapsed. Something, 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 because the guys who were supposed to be watching him abandon their post to go to the town's big Valentine's Day dance. Rats. They don't really explain why if Harry was trapped in the mine for weeks, which meant the collapse was that bad, those guys could have done anything had they stayed at their post. They don't really explain that, but uh, what are you going to do? But Harry, he's kind of a honey badger, right? He does not give a shit about reasons. Mm. He loses his mind. He goes absolutely crazy because he has to eat the, the, the humans that are with him, the flesh of the miners that, that did not survive so that he did live. Mm-hmm. And when they rescue him, they send him to an insane asylum because he's insane. Yes. But he gets out. He's very insane. There's the one scene where they flash. You'll get a one, not even a full second clip of Harry. And it's the he's <laughs> He's got a human arm in his hands, rocks all around him, and he's chewing away and and screaming. But he does get out. He gets out of the insane asylum, and uh, he kills those guys who abandoned their posts. And threatens to come back and kill them if ever there is another Valentine's Day party or dance in Valentine's Bluff. This is where the plot starts to slip a little bit. Everybody seems to know he's in an insane asylum, but they don't have the Valentine's Day dance in case he breaks out? I don't know. But they haven't had one in two decades. And now the plot thickens. As the townsfolk are getting ready for this, the mayor and the sheriff are out driving together. The The mayor just got a heart-shaped box. It looks like candy. He, dum, op- dum, dum. he opens it up. It's not a heart-shaped box. What's inside? An actual human heart. Oh, which is, to be fair, lovely symmetry, if you think about it. The sheriff that. stops the car, does a three-point turnaround, which brings up my second favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And the sawed-off beetle was only, that's the third favorite part of the movie. Second favorite part of the movie, the dog that comes <laughs> out of nowhere, barks at the cop car, and then chases it. Breakout star. The dog's an absolute breakout star. (laughs) To be fair, though, that's your second favorite part? We will get to the first favorite part of the movie, and it's it's a stunner. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Uh, this dog took his role very seriously. He's super pissed at that cop car. Super, super pissed. I mean, it wasn't like he just came out and barked and wagged his tail. He was just biting at tires and shit. Mm -hmm. I like to think he was a good boy and belonged to one of the people who shot the movie. 13 out of 11 would bark again. Although that doesn't say a whole lot for the movie, if that's one of your favorite parts. says a lot for the dog, but not a lot for the movie, Well, you know, I've been waiting to use this line. Some people find the bloody box of chocolates half empty. I prefer to think of it as half full of blood. Oh, my. Included with that heart in the heart-shaped box is a note. And it warns the mayor that more people will die if the dance goes forward. Not me, if I'm the mayor. I cancel the dance and I call more authorities than the pipe smoking cop who doesn't seem to want to do anything. Because does the sheriff call for help from a bigger town or Mounties, whatever you do, what do you do in Canada? Mounties? He couldn't call for Mounties or Dudley Do-Right. He doesn't. And that decision, that's going to come back to haunt him. Ten minutes. We're ten minutes into the movie. We do get a couple of slasher film classic moments. We get the kids acting like punks and ignoring authority. Yeah, kids. And we get the crotchety old person mourning about impending doom. Yep. The town's only bartender, whose name is Happy, yes. tells the kids they better not dare Damn. to have that Valentine's Day dance or Harry will get there. And at this point in the movie, I learned I'm a tiny bit racist. <laughs> I thought the bartender was the mayor because apparently all old white dudes from 80s movies look the same to me. He did have a lot of... Cragginess. There's a lot of a cragginess. Lot of cra- and a lot of like uh, Burgess Meredith hair. Like yeah. crazy hair. Yes. Um, but Happy does give us our very classic Cabin in the Woods moments. It started 20 years ago. The night of the Valentine's mm-hmm. dance. And we end up getting the info dump from him as to why the first massacre happens. Five men buried alive as the whole town continues to party. So callous. So callous. Then he cut out their hearts and stuffed them into heart-shaped <laughs> candy boxes. This youth, these youth, they're just not listening to the warnings they're of not. the old people in town. At 15 minutes and 30 seconds, we establish the all-important love triangle between TJ, Alex, and Sarah. TJ uh, Axel. T- Axel, that's right. TJ, Axel, and Sarah. TJ and Sarah were a thing. So in love, so in love. But then TJ left town to, and he, find himself. to go to California. Mm-hmm. He never called her. He didn't write one letter. Not one letter, that son of a bitch. He broke her heart. He broke her heart. But you know who's there? Good old Axel was there to provide solace and comfort. Good old Axel. But now TJ, he's back and he wants Sarah's heart. The Uh-oh. heart wants what the heart wants, even severed hearts that are stuffed into candy boxes. I, I, I don't think he wants Sarah's heart heart in a candy box. I I think he just wants her back. But if he had done that, 
Oh, okay, but that is also not actually how hearts work, uh, by well, the way. I suppose that is scientifically accurate. No, but it is. This is how love triangles work. Fair. And honestly, I don't care if it's a slightly dodgy indie movie. This is a good love triangle. I'm immediately roped in. I thought this part was solid writing. Fair. About 17 minutes in, we learn the heart in the sheriff's heart-shaped box of candy is a human heart. I'm so shocked. Yes. And although no one connects it to a girl that must be missing, a girl with a certain fetish for gas masks. Now the killings begin in earnest. Yes. I'm not sure everybody knows yet that there's a dead woman down in the mine, but it doesn't matter because Mabel, the lady who decorated the town hall for the big dance, Mm -hmm. she dies. Okay. She uh, owns a laundromat. And the miner gets her in that laundromat and kills her with his mining pickaxe. It's a signature. I like it. Yep. She dies in a laundromat. A laundromat that is fully decorated for Valentine's Which Day. I thought was ludicrous. I mean, I appreciate the theme, but who decorates a laundromat? Maybe Canadians do. Ah, yes. Mabel certainly does. And she dies. An innocent victim. She's not. She knew damn well about the curse. She threw a party anyways. She also ignored Happy. And in slasher movies... That means she had it coming. If only she'd listened to Happy's She should have listened. So they find Mabel's body the next day, February 13th. Mm-hmm. And it comes complete with another warning. A warning stuffed into the woman's... They put her in a, put her in a dryer. Burned her all up <sighs> in a dryer. It stank. And I will say this. It did smell bad. Also, she came out steaming. I yeah. have dried a lot of clothes in my life. I don't think I would be skinless and steaming. You haven't dried a lot of dead bodies. That's true. I have. I, at least I hope not. And with a warning that says, call off the dance or more people will die. And then the mayor's great line. Maybe we ought to cancel the dance. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you ought to cancel the dance. After the second murder. The second murder. Mm-hmm. The sheriff tries to find out if Harry Warden is still in the insane asylum. And guess what? (gasps) The insane asylum has no record of Harry Warden. He's not there. Heck, he might never have been there at all. Oh, my. So this is uh, another bit of a plot hiccup that we're going to let go for now. But the mayor starts to get wise. The mayor asks the sheriff if he should get help from the fictitious Granville, which Mm -hmm. apparently is the bigger town. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got two human hearts delivered in candy boxes. Yeah, you ought to get help from Granville. (laughs) You ought to. You ought to do that. But the sheriff? Yes. My man, Jim? Jim. He says no to help because uh, the, the the town makes money on the dance maybe? I'm not sure. It's it's not exactly like Jaws where the whole town is going to go bankrupt without the summer season. But there were reasons. And the writers have to come up with reasons because you, if you, the Mounties just come right. The Mounties come in on horses, right? Mm-hmm. That's what Canadians do. The Mounties come riding in on horses, solve the problem. In any horror book or movie, you have to have isolation. I talk about this on this uh, a lot because we cover a lot of horror movies. You have to keep your character set away from significant help so you can draw out the tension and kind of kick them off one by one in this style of movie. Yeah, right, right. You talk about that a lot. Yes. I mean, to be fair, they do, well, they don't get any help. But no. at least they canceled the dance. They do. Thank God. The dance is canceled. Woo-hoo! This whole thing, the, the nightmare is over. Oh, it is not. It's not. It's not oh, over. Oh, Jesus. Oh, the God. The kids, those darn Sorry. kids. Sorry. <laughs> decide to ignore <laughs> the advice of Happy and the mayor and the sheriff, who locks up the town hall and says, go home, you're not having a party. That's right. And those darn kids throw a party of their own. That I think maybe the mayor and the sheriff at this moment in time maybe should have mentioned the dead bodies. But. Well, 
We, but I'm an apple polisher. Don't forget way. the sheriff, for some reason, insisted that Mabel be taken out of the laundromat by the back door. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so no one in town would know one of the town citizens had been brutally murdered and her heart ripped out in a downtown business. This was Jim's great decision. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Okay, so we've canceled the dance. Now, you are a kid in a town which where there has been a huge mining massacre and also cannibalism and a mining collapse and 20 years of a footloose-like ban on fun. You want to throw a party? Where would you throw it? Oh, in the mines, of course. In the mines. We're happy. Warn them to stay away. So Happy decides. Happy gets involved. He's going to scare those kids away from the party. And, you know, also have a little fun with them. But Happy winds up being victim number three. Which, ironically, is sad. It's very sad. 42 minutes in. And now this is a member. This is an 80s movie. An 80s slasher movie. 80s slasher movie. 42 minutes in, the sinning begins. The sinning. We got kids drinking booze. They're smoking. They're having sex. And the sins must be punished. Uh, Okay. I would like to point out right here. Yes. That while this might be a bad movie, My Bloody Valentine has the most considerate killer Ever. The most Canadian of killers. Well, there's lots of Canadian killers. <laughs> He's so killer. polite. Like, He's, so, He's polite. so polite. He sends gifts. <laughs> he sends cards. He makes sure that these things are delivered right away. He's quite punctual. Oh my gosh. It's true. The nicest serial killer in all the land. About 47 to the movie, the uh, pre or the, how do you say that? The foreshadowed love triangle mm-hmm. between TJ, Axel, and Sarah interrupts. It's heartbreaking. It's violent. Basically, TJ and Axel get into a fight over Sarah. It's just like Romeo and Juliet. It's very, it's just like Shakespeare. Ah, it is not like Shakespeare. So now the killing begins in earnest. We get, uh, you know, it's a a slasher movie. You can't just kill everybody with the same knife. You got to find different ways to do it. People die from pickaxes, granite drills, which is one of the cutscenes because we just see the kids with the granite drill. Mm -hmm. The kids who were fornicating. Fornicating. With a granite drill sticking out of the dude's back, which means it's also in the girl's chest because they sinned and had the sex. They did. Another dude dies from a nail gun. Somebody gets hung. There's drownings. Pretty much every way you can die in a mine, Harry makes sure they die that way. But Mm -hmm. TJ, Sarah, and Axel survive. And Uh, I'm beginning to realize something. Yes. We never see the miner, who's the killer, Okay. when we also see TJ or Axel. Could one of them be our killer? Could be. We'll have to wait and see. Because 57 minutes in, this is where things get nutty. I tip my hat to my bloody Valentine. Almost an hour into the movie, this thing goes off the slasher movie script. The kids at the mine find out Harry Warden is in their midst. The ones who are still above ground, drinking and fornicating and smoking. They actually leave the mine and go find the sheriff. I do love this. They, You just said... The ones who are above ground, which yep. is a double entendre you didn't even mean to make. No. Because there's some who are dead, so the, and they're technically below ground too, yes. because they're in the mines. Yes. So that's a little like, well, the ones are still living, go run away, which is exactly what's off the slasher movie script thing. It's kind of shocking. But I will say, you're right. That's, you know, that's unusual. It's very unusual for a slasher movie. Very, very brave. So now I'm off the, it's very brave. Very it's brave. very brave. I'm very, I'm off the script. We do see the sheriff again, and here comes my favorite part of the movie. Oh. Just he he's in the he's in the sheriff's office, and here's these dogs barking out back. And he goes out the back door, finds a pack of feral dogs, 
uh, which apparently are common in small town Canada. They're, sni- Scotia, yeah. they're sniffing around a heart-shaped box, a bloody heart-shaped box. It's Happy's heart. And the best part, the surly overacting dog is back for a second That's season. the same dog? It's the same dog. The dog misses his mark, ignores his cue. He keeps barking at the sheriff. The sheriff's trying to, trying to shoo him away. The sheriff actually has to kick the dog to get him to go away. Because <laughs> the dog is growling and barking and wants that human. It's a riveting performance from this pooch. Riveting. 14 out of 9. Would watch him salivate over a bloody human heart again. Who's a good bloody boy? Who's a good bloody boy? <laughs> He's great. So we are now an hour and 15 minutes in. And there's four survivors. I left, we left out Patty, TJ, Axel, Sarah, and Patty. They're trapped below ground with Harry. Find out the mining control panel has been slashed. Oh, for the elevator, yeah. Yes, yeah, for the elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't get out. And at this point, Patty is a is a hot mess. She's a hot she is, mess. Yeah, because the guy who got nail gunned to death, oh, yeah, that was her, her bow. That was her bow. Yeah. Which, okay, I can give her that, but come on, survive, Patty. Dig deep and find that animal instinct. She is horrible, and I have to admit, I'm hoping Patty dies first. To be fair, though, uh, Sarah, who seems to be her BFF in this scenario, smacks her a couple <laughs> times. Her. Like, get your act together! Gives her a giant bitch slap to try and straighten up. Twice. It's so it's so eighties and so good. But she is definitely annoying. Yes. And they kinda go they, they sort of separate to find the best way out or whatever. Axel gets separated from the trio mm-hmm. of Sarah and Patty and TJ and Axel drowns. It's a sixty foot deep cavern that he falls into. Sis no, cistern. That's a cistern. cistern. Oh, is and it? And he drowns in that cistern and it's very sad. Oh, it's so sad. But then I got my wish. My fourth favorite part of this movie, Patty dies with a pickaxe to the belly. I mean, it's a rough way to go, but at least she's dead. Well, then we might we, we wind up with Harry, who's the mine, dressed as a miner, yes. fighting TJ in a pickaxe slash shovel battle atop of a moving mining train. Which I would have been much, super much more totally cooler. Totally Bond series. Totally it, James if Bond. If the train wasn't going two miles an hour. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. That's a very, very good point. <laughs> the train's going so fast that the miner actually walks to catch up with the train and crawls onto it to do battle with, <laughs> with TJ. But the fight goes on very slowly and TJ grabs the miner's masks, rips it off... And it's Axel! Shocker. Shocker. So now we have an early 20s serial killer. It's not Harry the Cannibal Minor Insane Asylum guy. No. It turns out Harry had died five years previous to this. Okay. Which somehow the insane asylum where he lived for 15 years didn't know. And also that same insane asylum threw out every record to say that he had ever been there for any reason. And it's close enough for Harry to have come back to town. So it's got to be close by. Close by. And... Everyone who works at that insane asylum must be just starting this relatively. (laughs) They had a a day of inaction, and then they were all fired and replaced with new people who were very surly. So we finish off with Axel going totally bonkers, giggling like a madman. The cave falls in on him, and TJ and Sarah get out as the sheriff and the crew comes in. And Axel gets trapped. His his arm gets trapped. Just like, what, 47 hours? Something like that? Uh, 127 hours. 127 hours. He's giggling like a madman as he escapes deeper into the mine by cutting off his own arm like a gangster. Like Like a gangster to get out from another rock fall. It's yeah. very, very 127 hours. Very of him, yes. 127 hours of him. It turns out that Axel is the son of one of the miners that Harry originally killed. Okay. Back in the day, 
When he yes. broke right out of the insane asylum, little Axel was hiding under the bed in his dad's room and saw Harry come in and kill his dad. And that drove him mad. Little That's Axel the with the, the blood splatters on his face, even though he's hiding under the bed. And now it's 20 years later and only on Valentine's Day when Axel dresses up like the guy who killed his dad. Then Axel decides to murder all his friends and also the lady in the decorated laundromat. And that's it for this very bloody, a little bit terrible cult classic of a movie. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, but no, it's not over. We get the closing credits. Uh, Possibly the best closing credits I've ever seen outside of a Marvel movie because the closing credits come complete with The Ballad of Harry Warden. Uh, it's it, it's. Uh, I'm gonna see if I can find it and play well, it for you, just, you folks. You at just the end. sang it for us. I. It's so good. It's so oh, gosh. so good. It's a tragic ditty. It's a lot. Okay, it's a kind of a ripoff of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, but it's the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald with pickaxes and hearts ripped out of chests and stuff. So it's great. <laughs> and now we're done. Yes, we're done. Wait. FDO, does that mean there are no 10 things I didn't know about my bloody Valentine? Sadly, no. Uh, this movie is is so uh, so bad that it there's almost no trivia about it. Well, in that case, I'm going to add my own two cents, and it's good. I can't say this was a great movie, mm-hmm. but it has survived all this time. We were able to rent it on Amazon, I think, yeah. or something. Yes. Um, and that's more than all the movies that I have never made combined. Have yes. Done. So I do have to give the filmmakers props for using the town they lived in up in Nova Scotia to great effect. So they lived there. This... I believe so. I know that they... It, I will say this. If they didn't live there, they built the entire movie based on this town. Okay. And so I love that because the, somebody saw how dramatic this mine could be as mm-hmm. set pieces. And that's pretty clever. But it's genius to not write a mining story, but write a horror movie. Yes. And a slasher flick. I think that is really, really genius. Horror... I also understand that horror stories set in mines they do real well, including yes, uh, Earthcore. I, I, yes, Earthcore is a story of mine that is set in a mine. Uh, and there are, are there, I don't know if there are Canadians in it or not, but I can happily say that my book Earthcore is not only available in all major outlets in all formats, it's also, I'm going to go ahead and say this, a much tighter story than my bloody Valentine. <laughs> it absolutely is. And with that... We hope you got a laugh out of episode 46 of Story Smack so that our trauma was not for nothing. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I'm at a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us both online at facebook.com slash Story Smack. And we'd love to see your comments over there. We also release an unabridged episode of a serialized novel of Scott's every week. You can get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for links. We're in the closing stages of Earthcore, which is the serialized audiobook we're doing now. Earthcore is on episode number 34 with only seven episodes left. It ends at episode 41. Go get it, binge it, get ready for the big, big, big finale that may or may not have a mining pick in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But we do hope you subscribe so that you can hear Scott's books and more Story Smack in the future. Until the next episode, we will talk to you all real real soon. soon. And happy Valentine's Day and stay on the mines! Once upon a time, on a sad valentine, 
in a place known as Hanniger Mine. A legend began, every woman and man would always remember the time. And those who remained were never the same. You could see the fear in their eyes. Once every year, as the 14th draws near, there's a hush all over the town. For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. Twenty years came and went and everyone spent the 14th in quiet regret. And those still alive know the secret survives in the darkness that looms in the night. For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. In this little town, when the 14th comes round, there's a silence and fear in the air. Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.